Hello, welcome to Unfortunately Required Reading. It is 6 p.m. on a Friday because I wanted to go see Black Panther tomorrow, and Tori is an excellent co-host. I mean, the amount of times that we've moved schedules for me because I forgot that I was supposed to do something. <laughs> and I'm over here like the one time, like, I just want to go see see the Black movie, please. <laughs> Like you have a backlog of like request tickets, like feel free. It's like please, I just want to see. I just want to see my girl Ironheart. Uh, hi, we're here to finish off what I'm assuming is now Cyberpunk Month because that's just how it ended up happening. It was an accident, but it works. But it works. Um, it works. We're reading "Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep" by Philip K. Dick, or as yes. the internet uh, meme has made me name it. Do androids dream of dick? <clears throat> uh, two things before the show started. Tori got to see one of my uh, silly purchases that I made in Japan, which is a gachapon of a fully functioning uh, Morse key. It is the coolest thing. <clears throat> I'm like, beep it. <laughs> I mean, I can beep it. I just mentally, I, all I hear is it's, like the people doing like the war messages. It's a good beep. I just, I love this dumb thing so much. So I was joking with Amanda that they needed to do SOS. Tell everybody yes. about your uh, your fun Tom Petty life experience this past week. So it's been longer than a week. It's pretty much been like since I started at this new office. So in the 90s medical uh, drama ER, a man loses his arm to a helicopter and like 10 years later, the helicopter comes back for revenge. Uh, he That's the only way that anyone can describe what happened to Dr. Robert Rocket Romano. Is that the helicopter came back for revenge. Uh, he is ascending an elevator. And the song Free Falling by Tom Petty plays. And uh, a large gust of wind knocks over the helicopter and, like, in his panic, he gets off the elevator, runs downstairs. He goes out to the front of the ER. And then the helicopter is, as the song mentioned, is free-falling. Destroys a good portion of the hospital. And then lands and falls on one-armed Dr. Uh, Robert Romano. And the song free-falling has been playing, like, non-stop at my office for, like, weeks and it's very distracting when that's the only cultural reference that you can think of is a guy who ended up fighting two helicopters and lost both times. See, all I can think of, my, my one that I relate is Heat of the Moment because of yes. Supernatural. Yes. <laughs> like yes. my brain just automatically goes, rise and shine, Sammy. And I'm like, no, it's not okay. It's not Okay. Uh, fun fact, that character was awful. He was sexist, racist, homophobic. Like, he was just a terrible, toxic, horrible character. Uh, so much so that when he died via helicopter, for real this time, um, his rival in the hospital, Dr. Carrie Weaver, lesbian icon, uh, none of his family came to the funeral because he had really no family. He was just a rich, crotchety, horrible white man. Shocking, right? Uh, no one came to his funeral and with the money that he had, because all of his estate money went to the hospital, she um, announced 
that they will be opening the Dr. Robert Romano Center for Gay, uh, Lesbian, and Transgender Youths in his name. And like the only other person who actually went to his funeral service, it was two people. It was Alex Kingston and, and the and Carrie Weaver. So Alex Kingston's character, I'm spacing on her name. She's the only other person who cared about him. She's like, Robert would have hated that. And Carrie's just like, I know. And she just I have smiled. an autograph picture of the goddess who is Alex Kingston right over just, my desk right now. Yes. Because <clears throat> River Dr. Song Corday. Was, that was her name. It was Corday, Dr. Corday. Good Elizabeth Corday. <clears throat> right. I'm what sorry. a what name. There's no laws with the claws. Okay, anyway. Oh um, God, I, I quit the show. Uh also, social media manager. It's themed. It's cranberry. Uh, also, here's your social media manager moment of clarity. Uh, Twitter is not the Lusitania. It's not just going to go down. That's not how websites work. It's there was so much panic over the last. There's been like so much panic over the last couple of days. Like Twitter's going to go down. The hashtag originally started as ex-employees were lamenting a Twitter lost. Twitter is not a, a, a U-boat. You can't just sink it. Now, is it definitely not doing great right now? Yeah. Fuck Elon Musk. Not in the positive way. Fuck that guy. Uh, but we've had Twitter that was bad before it was called the fail whale does no one remember the fail whale i don't remember the fail whale. the fail whale was a whale <laughs> that was held by little twitter birds as a sign that basically like the site capacity was over capacity so it was like oh back in the day yeah back it's like early days back in the early days of twitter we got <laughs> fail whaled constantly so do i see something like that happening yeah it's going to get worse before it gets better, but th this is not, a, it's not a boat. It can't just like go down. That's not how platforms work. Uh, so don't give Elon Musk power or credit. Keep, radically keep doing what you do as an act of defiance. Uh, speaking of acts of defiance, do you want to talk about this book? No, I'm just kidding. I actually do like this book. Okay, <clears throat> I feel like you'd like this one. So I, my, my, one of my major things is like I would like to start the episode by saying, yes, this is the source material for Blade Runner. Yes, it is so different, y'all. Something just so you know, yeah. Philip K. Dick saw only the first twenty movies, or twenty movies, twenty minutes of the movie Blade Runner before he died. Uh -huh. So. Oh! Um, yeah, oh, he, no. he didn't die because of it. I'm just saying, like, oh. so he said that they it captured his imagination and what he was going for. But just keep in mind the script, and it's kind of like they took some names and they kept with those and they moved on. But they took about out major plot points that made way more sense in the book that didn't make sense elsewhere. So while we're talking about mercerism and things like that on this podcast, you're gonna be like, I don't remember any of that from the movie that's okay that's <clears throat> there are two different things with one loving heartbeat we'll just move on with that <clears throat> so sure. short story short story long as i sit here with my cranberry white cloth i'm just drinking water i'm 
Uh, listen, it's been a long week. Also, uh, not a sponsor of the show, Prozac. What the fuck? <laughs> Prozac's amazing. Why don't they give like, this shit to everyone? <laughs> this because is some people come with their neurotransmitters built in. It just wasn't us. I can't fathom that. How's, what's that like? To be sad no, I, the normal amount. I have conversations with friends. I go, so you just wake up and you don't have to like you don't want to give die? a 30 minute pep talk about why getting out of bed is important like yeah, you just get please, out of bed please tell me what it's like to live without constant existential dread i'd love to hear about it listeners listeners to the show please want to call in about your experiences with the unburdened and untaxed mind of someone who isn't constantly staring at the uh, specter of death do, do they listen to our show <laughs> Jason, maybe, maybe Jason has neurotransmitters built in, but he does not. He does not. <laughs> he does not. I'm deeply sorry. I've known that man for 20 years. He does not. He's doing great. He does not. <laughs> Let's talk about. Wait. Oh, I'm. Yeah, like I said, I'm Sagittarius Suns, man. I'm just saying. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. You want me to start this nonsense? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, anybody who lives in the United States right now, not surprisingly, the Earth has been left radioactive and barely usable at the point where it can barely be called habitable. <laughs> animal life has been reduced to animals used as status symbols, but almost all of Earth's animal life is toast. Mm -hmm. Ewan is desperately trying to get people to move off the Earth to other planets with the promise of a lifelike android servant. Neat. <laughs> no. So the descriptions of these servants are pretty racist and slave-like, especially if you're reading the advertisement stuff that he puts in there. It's mm -hmm. really hard to miss out on that. Uh, most people have taken up the offer, but a handful of people have stayed on Earth. Mm -hmm. People are either classified as regulars, which means they can travel freely, or specials, which is when they were so damaged by radiation that they're not allowed to reproduce or leave Earth to move to other colonies. So, regulars and specials participate in this super weird process called fusion, which is basically they have they connect themselves to this thing called an empathy box to feel mm -hmm. basic emotions, um, you know. And then they will do this whole thing with a guy named Mercer. He's this weird figure that is climbing up this hill and, you know, occasionally falls and stuff like that. And people will feel his physical and emotional sufferings, sometimes to the point where it will kill people, um, especially if they're older and they're participating. So mm -hmm. that ritual of, like, emotions and, and feelings, some people leave that, you know, overjoyed. They feel like it's cathartic. Other people leave it completely depressed and are like, well, life's pointless. The moral teachings around this whole thing are called mercerism. Mm -hmm. So the colony planets turn out to not be nearly as fun as they've been made out to be. Android servants out there find their existence sort of pointless. Shocking. You gave something the ability to think and reason and you were surprised that it didn't want to do that. <clears throat> yeah. Because the AI is so smart, some of them kill their owners and go back to Earth. On Earth, it's not hard for them to pass as human beings. Of course, just like most minorities, <laughs> there is a whole police department that's happy to hunt down and kill them. They <laughs> <laughs> get in trouble. Um, so sometimes when it's androids or Andes or any like that's what they call them, um, they hire bounty hunters which in the movie they end up calling Blade Runners, which is way cooler than 
bounty hunter. Anyway. Yes. To determine if someone is in fact an android, they have to go through a psychological test, but these tests are getting less reliable with new versions of the androids. So you have these bounty hunters and police departments that are all worried because they're like, we're not going to be able to tell the difference. Um, and that's that's kind of fair because supposedly what they're testing for is the concept of empathy. And you're mm -hmm. living in a world where empathy is... <laughs> what are we even talking about? My favorite line in the movie is like, tell me about your mother. Yeah, it's... We'll talk about it more in symbols. Keep going. So Rick Deckard, um, which is a name, if you've seen the movie, you'll recognize, is one of these bounty hunters, and he works with the San Francisco de poli Police Department. So mm -hmm. San Francisco not surprisingly, is a nightmare at this point. Um, he goes to work one morning and he finds out that his colleague was shot through the spine and has to go through rebuilding. So yeah, mm -hmm. the guy's still alive, but he's literally having his body rebuilt. Um, there are six androids to hunt down that his colleague was on the case for, but now Rick is responsible for getting them. And we get this whole thing about, you know, your partner had been trying to keep you from having to have some of these crazier cases. Because Rick's like, I've been hunting androids for years. I'm really good at it. And they're like, well, you're mm -hmm. really good at the cases that we've given you. Um, <clears throat> so he's very excited because he's like, hey, I'm going to make a shit ton of money uh, killing these six. And when he collects it, he can buy either a real or a fake animal to surprise his wife. Um, and his wife is in this. One of the things I really think is hilarious about her is that she will schedule like moments of depression with her empathy box. And I'm like, first of all, if I had the option to not schedule depression, um, but do. Um, so yeah, can I just schedule my depression? Excuse me. Can I can I schedule this for like Saturday at two in the morning when I'm asleep? That'd be great. That's fantastic. So part of the agreement for Rick to be able to do this mission where he's going to collect is he has to go to the Rosen Association, which is the company that makes the androids um, and they're in Russia and the whole thing is he has to confirm that the test for androids is still functional enough that he can mm -hmm. use it when hunting and he meets this woman there who's gorgeous her name is Rachel uh, she's supposedly the assistant and niece for the company president because he's like Rachel Rosen hey wait a minute is that your oh your family her uncle asks Rick to determine whether or not Rachel is an android or human. So he has her do the test and she uh, tests as an android. And the uncle's like, oh, no, 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 no. This test is clearly wrong and unreliable. Spoiler, mm -hmm. she really is an android, which is like the biggest question in Blade Runner. So there you go. Um, yes. Rachel. Yes. So Rachel offers to help Rick hunt androids but it's really more that she kind of wants to like find a way to keep him from killing androids mm -hmm. um and Jesus, he manages to kill three of them on his own and he buys his wife a goat um his boss calls him and orders him to find the remaining three right away like no you don't get it you don't get downtime you got to go kill this um mm -hmm. rick brings in Rachel to help because he's having a hard time getting these last ones she of course seduces him surprise um her tactic is to sleep with android hunters and get them to lose their desire to hunt androids rick however just sends her away uh mm -hmm. rick finds the last three androids hiding out in the apartment of a man named john isidore who is classified as a special um this there is another android there named pris who is a duplicate of rachel so in the movie daryl hannah looks entirely different from rachel as pris and in the book it's actually a plot point um mm -hmm. it's obsessed with Pris and also android intelligence 
they treat him like shit, but he's already treated like shit because he's considered to be a special. Um, that doesn't make he, it okay. I know, but it's like, he's just like, this is just what I'm used to. Um, mm-hmm. But because he's obsessed with Pris, uh, he puts up with them. Rick arrives, but Mercer, the Mercer guy from the Visions, he's like, listen to it, tells Rick that Pris is lying in wait for him. Mm-hmm. So he's getting messages from on high. Rick is surprised by Pris's appearance, but manages to kill her all the same and the other two androids. He feels like shit when everything is over. Mercerism turns out to be an elaborate hoax. <gasps> Rachel gets pissed off, goes and finds Rick's goat and kills it. Um, mm-hmm. Rick is like, I'm going to go discover what happened with Mercerism. So he takes a hover car and flies for hours. He experiences fusion with Mercer, even though Mercer is supposedly not real. And he finds mm-hmm. a toad on the even though toads are extinct so he takes that toad home and he's like brings it to his wife he's like i found this for you it's a sign and she's like oh this thing is electric anyway um so this great symbol that he finds in the woods turns out to be fake and his wife Mm -hmm. is like whatever you get into bed i'll tuck you in and then i'm gonna go buy a bunch of supplies for this toad the end (laughs) just me and my toad Oh, also, while we were uh, while you were going over short story long, Baron von Cheeseplate messaged me, and he says, "Oh, please give Tori my best." Oh, he can have my best too. Hi. <laughs> so I'm cracking up because I'm sorry. This went through my head at the very end. Do you think that the brand of Toad would be an electrode, like an electrode? Please don't quit the podcast. <laughs> I'm not going to quit the podcast. I just want you to know how deeply disappointed I am in your choices at this moment. <laughs> I'm over here trying to figure out if I need to resurrect my long dead Tumblr. And then you want to make puns like this. Uh, okay, so this was, uh, you know, it was a lot. Not in a bad way, but it was a lot. It was kind of heavy. Um, for those of you who are... Uh, outside of the United States, we had midterms in between when we <laughs> recorded our last show and now. And uh, the guy we wanted didn't win. <laughs> yeah, not not surprising. We still live in a, a shitstorm, but uh, uh, a bunch of other places did good. A lot of other places did a great job. Uh, just not us. Just, just not just not us we we sure didn't we sure didn't florida and ohio are the only states right now that keep us like looking normal and ohio is getting a big boost with that like swag like ohio thing so texas do better texas do better also like realistically i don't know what i was expecting but it wasn't this like i don't know how else to explain it like this isn't what i wanted Texas is United States Ticketmaster. Okay, listen. Swifties are the problem, not Ticketmaster. Actually, both parties are the problem. First both of, of all, you are the problem. I love Taylor. Okay. I, I do don't not care. like No, I don't like her. I've now reached the point where I'm like, I have one amazing friend who's also hot. And yes, I'm hitting on you, Vanessa. I don't even think she listens to the podcast. Anyhow... So Vanessa sends me like the best music. She finds all these like really good indie like 
things that like really make you feel something and you're kind of like, mm -hmm. yeah, this is sexy. This is amazing. And then I'm like, you're on the phone with your girlfriend. She's upset. And I'm like, no, no, I'm trying to think of something really sexy and nice to send. And then I'm like, oh God, oh God, am I? No. <laughs> Meanwhile, I texted Tori at 641 this morning saying, hey, that song from House that makes me cry, makes me cry still. Oh, Six Feet Under, Sia's Breathe Me. Can't do it. But that was a song that my friend introduced me to. And then unfortunately, he passed away earlier this year. Mm -hmm. And um, so anytime I hear that song, like I had finally reached the point where I could listen to it and be like, it's fine. You know, it's not that big of a deal. It's just a song about like, you know, moving on. I I'm back to, I can't listen to it. I'm like, mm -mm. sorry, Craig can't do it. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's lose you by Pete Yorn. If you've never heard oh. it, it's like peak, sad, sad song. Uh, and they choose to play it during the funeral of one of the characters that committed suicide. Ooh. So great vibes house. Uh, but let's do some theming and some symboling. Uh, again, if you've watched Blade Runner and you're like, this sounds a lot like Blade Runner, uh, you are correct, it is. <laughs> if you've never really watched Blade Runner and don't understand the appeal of it, uh, hello, fellow young person. I've watched some of Blade Runner. I don't get it. So my dad was my sci-fi person. Um, so fair. my dad's the reason I saw the Terminator movies and the reason mm -hmm. that I saw Blade Runner and the reason mm -hmm. that I have any interest whatsoever in sci-fi, um, mm -hmm. which is a lot. Uh, he used to make me watch the laser discs, the Star Trek movies with mm -hmm. his surround sound in his basement. I gotta tell you friends. Okay. Like when you're like an early teenager and your dad's like, Hey, you're a nerd. I'm a nerd. We're going to watch number two be phenomenal. Look at this. Make it happen. Um, so you end up just being like, Riker is really pretty. Wow. I feel something awakening in me. So, okay. My brain is 14 different places today. I sent Amanda a okay. TikTok video of somebody throwing this party where it was dresses your sexual awakening. And yes. now I'm like, okay, it was kind of Riker, but it was also he kind of a lot of other people. And like, I had to ask, which sexual awakening do I do? Like, was it the, is it animated? Because that's different. Is oh, yeah. it my first male sexual awakening? Is it my first female sexual awakening? Again, animated. Is it my first male sexual awakening? Is it my first female sexual awakening? Because like, like most non-binary bisexuals, I'm riddled with issues and concerns because bisexuality i have found really is like the tide coming in like you don't think that you are but then just one day it's like oh that oh, yeah. yeah yeah i want that it, it's very confusing it's very very confusing because i had already settled that it was ryan Philippi from cruel intentions it's like yes this is perfect this is the ideal mate for me, this is great. Plus, you already um, have a Draco Malfoy wig you could use. Thanks for the thumbs up. You cosplay as Draco. It's not a surprise. It's not. But shut up. Shut up. It's a, but um, and then a little movie called The Spirit came out. A movie that no one liked because it's nothing like the comic. No one fucking cares. Shut up. You didn't read the comic either. I promise you, you didn't. 
everyone who was like, Watchmen isn't like the graphic novel. You didn't read the graphic novel. You're not smart enough. You're unhappy because you're unhappy. Uh, well, I'm not but, sure how they would have pulled off the giant squid. Anyway, moving on. No one knows how they'd pull off the giant squid. But And then Ava Mendez comes out and she's just perfect. And she says... And she sits on a man's printer, her his anachronistic printer, because it's supposed to be like the 1940s. So his anachronistic Hewitt Packer printer. And she sits on it, makes a photocopy of her ass, and she goes over to his desk and puts it on his desk. Like, up oh. it's like, but it sounds like someone's trying to make an ass of me. A perfect ass. And like shows the photocopy of her ass. And it's like, this is yes, hello. Hi. That can I. I want that on my wall. <laughs> so I've I've leaned into this this kind of concept now. I'm just gonna tell you that when you are younger and you are mm -hmm. figuring out your sexuality, mm -hmm. reading but is really difficult because you're like, do I want a hand necklace? What do I want? And so I, I dated well, it's not Smut's fault, but I dated a lot of people that I was like, this man is like Richard from Laurel K. Hamilton books. Oh no, that is not a good thing. Um, and now as an adult, I'm like, okay, I can separate this stuff out, but I will still tell you Penn Badgley going, hello, you still destroys me, even though I know his character is awful. And like, I don't have a crush on him. Like the first, the, what is it? Three seasons. Mm -hmm. And then now I'm like, oh, hi. Um, but it was great because they had Victoria Pendretti from like the second and third season show up um, for his podcast. And so he's like, hello, you. And she's like, hi. Uh, all right. So all right, we, have, we have themes and symbols or something. Yeah. Real animals as status symbols versus fake ones. So real animals in this, because they are so hard to find, there's actually a whole guide. It's kind of like you would see for baseball cards or anything that you're mm -hmm. like, they're big collectors of like, oh, look at this price guide. So mm -hmm. the funny thing is in this, now we have digital online price guides. In this, you have an actual printed price guide. Mm -hmm. So it feels a lot more like back in the day. Um, but I mean, who knew, right? So other than... Uh, the u.s government so as you know no, he's walking no. around and he's seeing like this giant emu and it's alive and it is so fucking expensive and he's like well what if i did payments and they're like nobody we're not going to do payments on the emu um right but he they can can't repossess your emu yeah but he can get an electric one for 800 dollars, and it looks very similar Mm -hmm. In Rick's mind, he is trying so hard to make it look like they have things all together. So mm -hmm. the sheep that are, well, I think at one point in time they have a sheep. I think that's the very beginning. So every morning he gets up and makes it look like he's cleaning up after it because they're all on the roof of this mm -hmm. like apartment complex kind of thing because nobody really has places for animals. So they all live on the roof, but he'll go up every morning to keep up pretenses that, you know, he's cleaning up after it, you know, he's doing all these things. And at the same time, it's an electric sheep. It's not going to, like, have real shit that causes a problem, okay? It looks no. real. It feels real. Um, and that's kind of the whole, there's this whole identity crisis that goes in with that as mm -hmm. well. Of, are you a special? But do you come across as you're just a normal person? Um, 
what happens if you're a normal person and you degrade to the point that you become a special, which is a big concern um, because of the radioactive dust that's circulating. Um, people are tested all the time to see if they have enough radiation damage where they're considered to be a special and people are afraid to go. Um, right. It feels a lot like the AIDS crisis. Um, it does. And I want to... You know, if this is your first time reading this book and it sounds kind of like this is weird and insane, why would anyone do that? We did that in the 2000s. It was called, uh, what were those little dog robots? Was it Poochie? I think Poochie is the name of the one from The Simpsons. No, I thought um, it was. Hold on. I don't know. You could be right. But yeah, we had these little robotic dogs and stuff. Yeah. Um, they, I mean, they looked like robots. So Poochie was another uh, robot dog. I think it was, hold on. Now I need to figure out what it was. Man, there was. I am on a mission. Uh, it is Poochie. I was right. Okay. There was a Poochie robot dog. Uh, when we were younger, and I mean there were a bunch of robot dogs when we were younger, but like this is like you know two thousands, late nineties, early two thousands, and that was a technological thing. And like one of the things about them was like, oh, you know, it made like little toilet noises and stuff like that. Like that was. That's what we thought was cool. That's what we thought was a status symbol. Because especially growing up, you know, in the 90s, so much of the childhood that we had was about status. Clinton's mm -hmm. administration was all about middle class excellence. So, so much of our wealth in the 90s was spent on these dumbass trinkets to make you look like you have money, that you have status. And that usually meant buying a stupid robot dog for your child that your child doesn't care about. Remember Furbies? Mm-hmm. Oh, That's yeah. an electric my sheep. Still, my dad used to trade Furbies on eBay, like as in sell them. Like that was mm -hmm. when he lost his job in the 90s. Surprise, everyone. Because um, it wasn't yeah. as wonderfully beautiful as we thought it was. Um, he ended up just selling things on ebay so he would do that's why i know about these guides for baseball cards he would do that mm -hmm. and furbies and beanie babies when that was a thing little tiny plush toys for like six dollars people lining up at hallmark at six in the morning to be the first person there when they get off the truck like insane things that now you look back so, and you're like that's literally a piece of cloth with fake yeah. beans in it so wholesome story from my childhood. Uh, my father used to work at the bookstore for Tarrant County College, um, mm -hmm. which if you went to Bowie High School, hello, former, hello, uh, former classmate. Uh, it was called the Texas College of Champions because so many people from Bowie just went straight to an associates at, at TCC. So it was the Texas College of Champions. But my dad used to work there. And he would sneak away Beanie Babies for me because I loved them. So, like, if there was a new shipment, he would just, like, for, before anyone else, was like, this is going to my little girl. This is for my daughter. So, he, you know, we'd go pick him up from work and he'd just have all these Beanie Babies for me. And I just loved it when I was a kid. Couldn't tell you where the fuck they are now. Dad's been dead for 20 years. And they're not, you know, this priceless heirloom everyone was expecting for them to be but like we did all these things so if you need help you know humanizing this stuff because for a minute you know my brain was kind of like why the fuck would you do that this is dumb and then it's like but we've done this mm -hmm. we, we've done this before and um we have a note in here <laughs> that made me smile to no end 
Um, and I talked to, so I, I asked, do I get to talk about rotting Victorian pineapples? And Victoria said, always, you adorable spooky bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and that made me smile. I shit you not for days. So Aww, you are adorable. Is. You are spooky. <laughs> so during the Victorian era, it wasn't uncommon to see a rotting pineapple on someone's table. Because pineapples were this immensely luxurious thing that you could only get from the new world. And you certainly weren't throwing it out the minute it started to go. So you would just have these just like absolutely just fucking desiccated rotting pineapples on people's tables. Still being fawned over and oohed and odd Because it was such a novelty. People did that for years. Um, in Japan, where I just was, um, there's this whole market on designer fruit. A good bunch of grapes could easily cost you over a hundred dollars. A good, a good bunch of. It is more common to get fruit than actual gifts in Japan. A good melon can run you several hundred dollars. And when I say good, these are graded, standard immaculate. I got some of those very, very expensive grapes at the fanciest Denny's I've ever been to in Japan. And I can see why they're $40, $50 a bunch. I can absolutely see why a good batch of Muscat runs in the hundreds of dollars. But we're desperate as a species to show off and flaunt luxury. We've been doing it realistically since prehistoric times, which is why so many Neanderthal graves are now cached with grave goods. People didn't assume that that was a grave good thing, but it is. We, Even our prehistoric human ancestors were showing off status symbols. I mean, there are so many cases where they've opened up graves in the UK and Scandinavian mm -hmm. countries for like these Viking warriors and stuff like that, where there's board games, there's loots, there's um, food, there's animals, like there's mm -hmm. all sorts of stuff. And I mean, even during this book, there's there's a point where when he's at the Rawson company, there's an owl and owls are extinct, like, but it's alive and it's real. And he's like, how mm -hmm. did you get this? And they're like, well, you know, if you kind of go our way, we could show you. But they're talking about like, they have a source for pandas. They get their guidebooks early. Like all this kind of stuff where you're the guy. So, so, you know, in the guidebook, if something is extinct and doesn't exist anymore, mm -hmm. it'll still have like a picture of what the animal would look like, but right. it'll have the information in italics and it'll say, if this existed, it would be worth this much. And it's just like the Rosen Association has a bunch of them. Like, yeah. Do you want an owl? I can get you an owl. I mean, you got to stop hunting my people, but you can have this owl. Yeah, you want an owl? I got owls. It just, <laughs> just opens up a closet door. Just a bunch of fucking owls. It's a parliament of owls. Like the owl cafe that you went to in Japan? I'm just saying, that place would be bank. I would, okay. I'm usually very, very skeptical about places like that because usually like the animals are horribly mistreated and unhappy. That owl cafe, those owls had breaks. No one was able to interact with them if they were on break. They got to sleep. They were very cute. They were very well socialized. Like, I feel like they have an owl union. 
Is there an owl union? I don't know. That. I would. I would absolutely. Huh? It would be a parliament of owls. Yeah. I'm, I'm in trouble again, aren't I? Okay, moving no, on. No, you're doing great. You're doing great. Uh, Something do you want to... Yes. I was going to say, do you want to talk about evil corporations? I was going to say, do you want to talk about identity crisis? Let's talk about evil corporations. Uh, listen. Capitalism is a cancer. Not a cancer like me. Like an actual cancer. Uh, no CEO is your friend. No business is your friend. I... I hate the neoliberal lie that we've been told that like some companies are run by good people. There's good millionaires and billionaires that are helping the world. No. It's just like ACAB. All cops are bastards. All companies are bastards. All CEOs are bastards. Even the ones you think are really good. The ones that you really think are your friends. The ones that you know, stand on their little fucking soapboxes and talk a big game about helping the greater good. No, they're helping their bottom line. They're CEO for a reason. So you saw the whole thing about Jeff Bezos giving like a million dollars to Dolly Parton for charity, right? Yes. And my brain's just like, bro, everybody already knows that you're a problem. Like, you don't, you're not making things better by doing this your existence you're not doing anything that's good and there was a and part went, of me that, yes sorry go ahead there was a part of me that used to be like a soft ceo apologist because at my core i'm still a slytherin you know we're game recognized game and there was a there was a long time where i was like oh hate the system not the man no i hate the man too now so fuck all of them Evil corporations is something that shows up in a lot of Philip K. Dick's work and a mm -hmm. lot of cyberpunk, um, as we talked about in our last episode. So mm -hmm. the funny thing is they usually have hyphenated names. Um, mm -hmm. In this case, it's just the Rosen Association. But there is, like you were saying, game recognizes game. Um, you have people who basically, they, they, churn in little parts of their souls every day just like we do mm -hmm. to make sure that they survive mm -hmm. that's what it is so with rick deckard i mean he's not just dealing with okay you know i have to go get these these androids he's like okay we might have enough money to do this we might be able to do this and so he's rationalizing taking out something that he can't tell the difference between a human being and an android sometimes Mm -hmm. And just going, okay, we've got this. Like, I'm going to make money. We're going to be okay. We're going to be able to get out of here. Um, so many people in this book are stuck in these situations where they're just doing the best they can to survive. Because right now, there's not a whole lot holding on to them. Um, empty apartments are a big deal. It's A lot of it feels kind of like the European block, um, in all honesty. Mm -hmm. Where you are in these apartments and you're like, oh, so-and-so got moved to a higher apartment or, you know, so-and-so has this, you know, we're, we're all doing our best, but so-and-so has a sheep now. Like, it's, <laughs> it's fascinating to me. You have these corporations that are incredibly intelligent or, or 
taken care of by incredibly intelligent people. Mm-hmm. I mean, Rosen is no slouch. She knows what's up. Um, mm-hmm. And it, he, I mean, he has a whole Android that he tells people is his niece so that she can try and make them think, Oh, look, test doesn't work. Oh, look, I could sleep with you and be fine. Oh, guess what? I am an Android. So maybe you shouldn't kill Androids because look how great I am. <laughs> yeah. Oh, all right. But you, you also see this in stories like the one total recall is based off of, which is yes. called, uh, we can remember it for you wholesale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, all right. There's a lot going on in all of this stuff. Also, just, I'm going to say this with love. Feel free to take a break from the news. There's a lot happening right now. Uh, none of it's good. If you need a minute, just dear reader, feel free to take a minute. You have my permission. The 24-hour news cycle wasn't always a thing. It It sure wasn't. Into existence in the past few decades. And you'll also see an increase in mental health problems. Yeah. uh, How do you get people to watch news? You make it interesting. How do you make it interesting? You make people scared. Yeah. Um, also as an advertiser, as a marketer, uh, we are the cause of all human suffering. I'm sorry. So feel free to unplug. I give you permission. That's how I pay for my sins as someone who is part of this machine. Uh, do you want to talk about identity crisis or reality versus perception? I think there's they kind of combine if you think about it. They so. do combine a little bit. Um, a lot of this feels very like allegory of the cave in a lot of ways. Where it's like, if all you know is shadow, that's all you're going to know. And if anything, information coming to light is going to be shocking and scary. Uh, that is one of the things I find most interesting about things like robots passing Turing tests, essentially, is when you start to break that illusion, like that is an existential threat that we are not prepared to deal with. Um, as robot sci-fi as I get is like Asimov, which should explain everything about me as a person. <laughs> it's, that's about as robot as I get is Asimov. <laughs> All I can think of is the archer talking about the first law of robotics. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but... You know, that is an existential threat that I don't think that we're really able to grasp. Like, we're starting to understand it, but we don't fully get it. And that's okay. I say we collectively, including me, I don't fucking get it. Um, So the idea that your whole worldview can just be blown wide open by something relatively arbitrary is psychologically damaging. And yeah, it gives me like very, very strong like allegory of the cave vibes of like, you know, when you're so used to the dark, going into the light is hard and you will likely resist it. I don't like the incel read that people do into allegory of the cave where it's like, like, you know, like the dude bro alpha read where it's like, oh, I'm so much better for having gone into the light. It's like, okay. You were dragged kicking and screaming to wash your own ass 10 years ago, just like most men. Relax. 
You are you are not a great thinker. You're someone who has opened up Reddit too many times. Congratulations, you got a bed frame. Not a bed frame. Have you seen um sad single male apartments? Like that the ghost threads of just No, like, but I've seen a lot of sad sad male I've apartments. also but like it's just like a TV on like a box, like a, a chair, and then just like a mattress on the floor. And it's just like you make money. You're not poor. Why do you favorite live part about that? Yes. Was that was the guy that would like be like, you know, you're a great girl and all, but and I'd be sitting there going, um, I'm the head of a full department at work. I have my own apartment that I pay for every month on time. Yeah. I have my own car yeah. and a fully fun, like I have a whole life. And that was one of those, those things where that's when I stopped dating in California. Cause I was just like, you live with your mom in a back room and you sleep on a mattress on the floor. Um, you work at Starbucks a part time and take one class at community college and you're almost 40. Okay. Tori, I hate to stop you, but I was Googling, uh, I was on the Furby Wikipedia. Oh, no. There's a Furbaka. It's a little Furby Chewbacca. And it's the cutest, worst thing I've ever seen in my life. It's, it is the cutest and absolute worst thing I've ever seen. I'm sending it to you now. But this Are you is sending it to me so I put it in our show notes. I'm sending it to you to in Messenger because I want you to see this. Please look at the look at the furbaka, which sounds like a condition. Sounds like a tropical disease. If you or a loved one has furbaka, like it sounds like it sounds like an old timey like it's like my dearest. Unfortunately, the camp is riddled with disease. Furbaka has invaded. Spirits are low. Please send chewing tobacco, gin, and sweet thoughts. Forever yours. My darling Esme, the Furbaka has not let up in my The Furbaka's whole Furbaka has remained a strong presence in the camp this week. Medics I thought it was tuberculosis that did me in, but no. I've managed to avoid the consumption and go straight to Fabaka. Thank you to our regularly uh, provided cup of gin ration. We have been able to avoid tuberculosis, but Fabaka continues to make its way through the camps. So my question is, like gin and tonics, yes. like does quinine prevent Fabaka? No. <laughs> I hope not. I hope, anyone, I hope anyone who gets Furbaka just dies of Furbaka. Anyone who has Furbaka just deserves to die of Furbaka. So now you know you have to make a t-shirt that says I suffer from Furbaka. <laughs> Furbaka awareness! <laughs> Furbaka awareness. We're gonna create a new condition. The ribbon is just fur. <laughs> I was gonna make, like, make a ribbon like, oh my god, what what disease are you supporting? Like, it's for Baca. It's really, really Listen. underground. You might not know about it. Listen, my father suffered from Furbaca, but thanks to some good 
medicinal treatments and some Eastern medicine, he survived. Thanks to the powerful uh, Eastern medicines of just a ball. It's just a little capsule. My father was able to cure himself of Furbaka. He's still dead, but he doesn't have Furbaka anymore. I overcame Furbaka with the power of friendship. <laughs> this is why we don't record the podcast at night. Furbaka is just the friends we made along the way. I, w- I went to Ohio and only got Furbaka. One of my favorite people, Stephanie, lives in Ohio, and I just send her horrible Ohio stuff all the time. And I'm just waiting for the day that she cracks the sheer amount of awful Texas TikToks and starts sending them to me. We should ask her about Furbaka. <laughs> How are you doing with the outbreak of Furbaka, Stephanie? in Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> it's not swag like Ohio, it's Furbaka like Ohio. You know, somebody in the background is like, has zoned out and then they're like listening yeah to someone after they started and they're like what are these people on yeah someone is desperately trying to be like these people need help like um amanda is on prozac i am on Paxil. prozac i'm doing great i'm living the dream this is what Amanda- the 80s wanted they gave prozac to everyone for a reason we should do it again this is phenomenal mm-hmm. I would happily take some Prozac. All right. What was that meme? It's like, I can't come anymore, but at least I don't want to die. It's like, this is fantastic. (laughs) Just give everyone Prozac. It's so accurate, though. Oh, my gosh. You're like, wow. (laughs) It's almost impossible to make me orgasm. However. However, I don't want to jump off a bridge at the mildest of inconveniences. You won't find my body in a bathtub. Like, it's... Okay, uh, speaking of finding your body in the bathtub, is empathy necessary? <laughs> yes! Um, this is actually yeah. something that's come up even in the past, God, since 2016? No, I'm just kidding. Our entire lives. Um, the yeah. concept of, you know, is empathy something you need to survive? And yes, we yes. have a lot of sociopaths that don't have those levels. Do we have a lot off. of sociopaths? I thought it was like 1 in 25. That sounds high. I don't know. What is this? This sociopath next door is a psychopath next door. I don't know. 1.2% of U.S. adult men. And 0.3 to 0.7 of women. Hold on. What's this 0.4 gap of women? Hold on. Hold on. So... Empathy is something that, you know, we, we, empathy is the ability to truly understand what that person, well, not truly understand, but understand what that person is feeling and be able to respond in kind, like be able to go, okay, I'm not just going to look at you when you just told me your granddad died and be like, do you want to go to a party? Like, it's the ability to know what that feels like. And how to avoid that and how to like avoid making it well i'm, I'm way oversimplifying this because yeah, it's like something we've studied for by philosophers for thousands of years and no one can really give a definition so why am well, i trying on friday i can it's simple it's do you look at a situation and feel compassion versus pity i remember i had that a lot when my dad died is i got a lot of people that felt pity 
they didn't feel compassion for me or understand how I or understood how I felt. They just felt pity. And while pity can be very assuring sometimes, it usually can only go so far. That's why having emotionally intelligent people in your office is so important. Anyone can sympathize. It is much harder to empathize and then put that into practice. Because that's the other big issue is actually more people than we think can empathize. They choose not to. Except for us who have trauma. We've done it for years and we don't have any more of it in us. Uh, it's something that's so fascinating about the whole concept of mercerism um, it's because so many people in this book go into the situation where they're not trying to learn empathy no. um, the human beings in this book probably have the least amount of empathy even less than the androids mm -hmm. um, but what they're doing is they're getting their own sense of catharsis they're going yes. in and they're using someone else's experiences to be like oh at least it's not me um, oh, yeah. I felt that, but I'm not going to put anything into practice to fix it or help. And I do want to give some credit to this. Um, you know, I, I know like Tori and I in our private conversations, we talk about like emotional labor and how hard it is to be there for people, how hard it can be to constantly have people lean on you. I know I get that a lot as an African-American woman. Uh, a lot of people just genuinely perceive black women as stronger. So they will just unload on us apropos of nothing. The amount of like drunk white women who've just like been in a bar and it's like, I just feel like I could tell you anything. And it's like, I don't know who you are. I, I just want my Moscato Diosti. I'm at Red Lobster. I'm not here to be a chaplain to you. Um, I want Cheddar Bay Biscuits, not your CPT. I want Cheddar Bay Biscuits and more Moscato Diosti. I'm not here to to listen to you in your time of need. Uh, but empathy is work. It's hard. It's not easy to say, listen, I know where you are. I've been there. It sounds like you're hurting. How can I help? That is not easily done. Not sincerely, at least. And I see why so many people that do consider themselves empaths are so burned out. Now, I also want to give a special shout out to those of us who are not empaths, but are hypervigilant because of trauma. I'm not an empath. I was beaten. <laughs> I was abused as a child. I'm hyper vigilant. I know how to read the room because that was the difference between me getting yelled at and me not getting yelled at. It is a completely different skill set. Oh, I love that. I love that. Um, there's this TikToker. I think it's like the holistic uh, psych or something like that. She's amazing. And she'll do these like skits where it's like a mom and a, ch and a child and, you know, the mom will be like, oh, you're such an easy child. And the kid's like, yeah, I learned hypervigilance because you hit me when you're mad. And it's like, oh, shit. Yeah. We're not empathetic. We're on edge. You learn the slightest, subtlest shifts in tone. Mm -hmm. You learn the little angles of how the shoulders change yep. of the facial expressions yeah are there people slightly more dilated and the funny thing is 
you're not even actively thinking this. Your body has just reached the point where you are automatically doing this. It's awful. I hate it. Because, like, you don't even know sometimes. You're just like, huh, why do I always, like, why am I always stressed? Why am I carrying so much on my shoulders? It's because your body's on constant fight or flight. So is empathy needed yeah, we need to be able to know how to read and process situations. Uh, there's also a ton of selfishness in empathy and altruism. There are some amazing studies uh, that have been done in primates and in people about sacrificing yourself so that the other generation can go forward. That's not empathy. That's a solid strategy to help promote evolution. Altruism has nothing to do with altruism. It has everything to do with maintaining social order, not upsetting the current, and ensuring that your genes move forward into the next generation. It isn't about the kindness or goodness in anyone's fucking hearts. Hi. I've been watching too many video essays. The hardest thing, and one of the reasons I was very happy to leave pageants, and I'm going to tell you right now, most of these people really genuinely do want to help. Of course they don't they necessarily do. do it in a way that's helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, but they genuinely want to help. Unfortunately, so much of your time is taken up taking photos and mm-hmm. showing what you're doing and showing that you're being altruistic. And it just feels dirty. It just feels dirty. It's like when you see those people who go to other countries and they're like, I'm feeding these children in Africa. And they're taking all these pictures of them with the kids. I'm like, oh, I, nobody knew that. When I was dating, yeah, when I was, when I first started like online dating in earnest, what was one thing I always said? It's like, I hate it when people use like ethnic children as a prop because especially like the specific kind of white guy I tend to go for half of them love using ethnic children as a prop. It's like, oh, look at me helping this brown child in Africa. Look at me helping this Asian child in, you know, Cambodia. I don't care about what you do in that regard. You're doing this because you are desperately trying to perform anti-racism, but you're ending up probably doing an anti- you probably end up doing a racism. Um, my favorite, there was an old, old photo of uh, Justin Bieber was on a mission and he like handed this like boy a pencil. <laughs> and my favorite comment is, what is he going to do? Draw himself out of, out of, out of poverty? It's, it's like, I can't. Yes. I, I always want to like tell people, like, think of it this way. Imagine if that was your kid. And somebody is taking a bunch of pictures of like, look, I'm helping this poor, unfortunate child. And you're like, actually... His name like is that's... Phil, and he's fine. Yeah, and he's fine. He like... um, so there's this woman, and she's amazing. Her name is Jamie, the very worst missionary. She was one of the... So there were a handful of, of Christian authors who almost made me stay. Almost mm-hmm. made me stay. Jen Hatmaker is one of them as well. Where they're just great people who've been through some real shit mm-hmm. and, and get it and genuinely like believe and love Jesus. Like, that's their thing. Yeah. Um, But I remember Jamie writing this whole thing in one of her books about how they would go to South America and they would do these mission trips and it would become this big thing for the church. Oh, we're going to go down and we're going to save these people's souls. And so they would go down there and they would do these like big revival meeting things and they would feed everybody and they'd give gifts to the kids and stuff like that. And so Jamie's talking to him and she goes, 
how do you feel about, you know, us coming down here? Like, how do you feel about, you know, this message of Jesus? And they go, we convert every year. And she goes, <laughs> you convert every year. And they go, yeah, yeah. You guys come down, you feed us, you give us stuff. We're fine. You know, I, I'm, we're not really sure why you keep coming down here, but you know, like we'll hang out for a while and talk about Jesus. And it was just so fascinating because it's like this, the same concept of like, oh, we must go out and convert the noble savage. The Native Americans were doing great before we got here. Okay. Like, it... I, I've never been more in love with like, oh yeah, we convert every year. That's fantastic. I love that. Uh, okay. Speed round. Ding, 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 ding. Do oh. you want to tell us about Philip K. Dick? Yes. Yes. Cause this man was cray cray and he's dead. So we can actually talk about it. Woo! Um, Philip K. Dick is a Sagittarius son. I'm throwing that out there for Jason. Anyway, and me. He was born on December 16th, 1928, Chicago, Illinois. He was born mm -hmm. six weeks early. So was I. And had a twin. Um, his dad worked for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. his twin died six weeks after he was born. So he ends up having this concept of a phantom twin motif in a lot of his books. Um, this other side of you that you don't really know is there, but they're haunting you. Anyway, when he was super young, his family moved to San Francisco Bay. Shocking. That comes into play in a lot of his stuff, too. He went to mm -hmm. Berkeley High School, and he was in the same graduating class as Ursula K. Le Guin, um, but they didn't know each other at the time. Yay. He went to Berkeley, but he dropped out because he had major anxiety. I sympathize. Yep. Um, he started publishing in 1952 when he was in his early 20s, but he didn't have very good commercial success. I mean, it's kind of like just existing as a writer. Um the first story he sold was called Rug, and it was about a dog who thought, that, or I guess it's Rog, um, who thought that the garbage men every day were stealing valuable food from the home. And so he ended up getting published and being like, you know what? I can do this full time. Um, eventually, he published the book The Man in the High Castle, and it won a Hugo Award in that he was in his 30s at the time. So then he started getting commercial success. Amazon, of course, has made that into a show. I was about um, to say, wait a minute. <laughs> Wait till I give you the full list of like, well, that's not even the full list, but the list of a lot of stuff that's been adapted in the movies of his shit. Mm -hmm. um, he wrote 44 novels, 121 short stories. He was very big on the concept of social questions, like the idea of reality, human nature, what's fucked up about us, what is worth saving. Um, this story, Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep, was published in 1968. Um, in 1974, boys started to get very heavy into drugs. Uh, and Fedibans. and mm -hmm. he had a series of what he called mystical experiences. This is the most Sagittarius shit ever, by the way. Um, his yes. stuff started getting super th into theology, metaphysics, the nature of reality. Um, mm -hmm. I'm going to read a little bit of a paranormal experience that he had to you. I know this is a speed round, so I'm not trying to take forever. So on February 20th, 1974, while recovering from the effects of sodium pentothal, start off with that administered uh, for the extraction of an impacted wisdom tooth keep on with that uh, dick received a home delivery of darvon from a young woman but when he opened the door he was struck by the dark-haired girl's beauty and especially drawn to her gold necklace he asked her about its curious fish-shaped design as she was leaving she replied this is a sign used by the early christians dick called the symbol the vesicle pisces the name seems to have been based on his conflation of two related symbols the christian isthic symbol and the inner Secting arcs delineating a fish in profile, which the one was wearing, and the Vesica Pisces. 
Dick recounted that the sun glinted off the gold pendant. The reflection caused the generation of a pink beam, a light that memorized or mesmerized him. He came to believe he the beam imparted wisdom and clairvoyance, and also the belief that it was from a higher intelligence. On one occasion, he was startled by a separate recurrence of this pink beam, which imparted the information that his infant son was ill. They rushed the child to the hospital where the illness was confirmed by professional diagnosis. After the woman's departure, he began to experience strange hallucinations. It, it goes on like this. The man started to have some crazy, crazy visions. Now, is that from drugs? Maybe. Is it from paranormal? Maybe. Uh, uh, I'm gonna go ahead and say it was the drugs. Sorry. Drugs. Um, he was married five separate times. Again, the most Sagittarius son shit ever. Um, and had three kids. He was physically abusive. Um, at one point in time, he moved in with a fan in Oakland and attempted to drive off the road to commit suicide while she was still in the car as a passenger. She did survive. Um, he ended cool. up dying in Santa Ana, California the town right next to where I was raised in 1982 due to complications from a stroke. So he was not super old. Um, a crap ton of his stuff been, have been turned into movies. So mm -hmm. obviously Andrew, do Android's dream of electric sheep was turned into blade runner partially. He also wrote a scanner darkly a minority report was based off of one of his books. Next was based the Nicholas Cage movie. It was awful based off of that total recall um, impost the imposter, the adjustment bureau, screamers, paycheck, and obviously the man in the high castle. They've all been adapted. Um, again, he only really saw the first 20 minutes of the movie adaptation. So uh, be aware that the writer and director of Blade Runner had never read the mm -hmm. book. They're like, we're gonna write this, but we're not we're not gonna read the book. We just give us the gist. Um he also published under the pen names Richard Phillips and Jack Downland, which again, not surprising. They're during this time of like pulp publishing, you would write as many books as you possibly can or as many short stories as you possibly could. Mm -hmm. And you would um, take that information and you would put it out there and just try to get it published so you could live. Um, not surprising. <laughs> yeah. And that's the speed round. Yay. Uh, did you? Have to read this in school so strangely enough we started reading this in ninth grade english at the very end of the year i think he had to start reading it with the idea that we were all going to finish it over the summer and just like be inspired um he was a really cool teacher but mm -hmm. um he didn't really stick to anybody's lesson plan but his own fair and valid i never had to read this and had an okay time yeah it's not terrible it's not it's not terrible it's definitely not the worst thing you've made me read. Uh, we'll have resources, as always, uh, listed on our website. Uh, Tori, we'll do you want to share yes. Furbaka so you guys can see it and not get the horrible Furbaka disease? Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to share we'll have to share our notes with the UN on how to stop the spread of Furbaka. We'll have to discuss this with who. We can't have <laughs> we can't have Furbaka spread like monkeypox. That so i'm still trying to deal with the fact that it's almost december yeah i was thinking about that because my friend's like oh i'm getting like christmas shopping done early and i'm like what the fuck are you talking about like like oh so oh, yeah shit. yeah uh, which means it's almost tori's birthday mm -hmm. so the sagittarius is uh in the house 
Um, I, I'm, I'm wondering if people have figured out what my star sign is based on this episode. Anyway, it's very subtle. Blinking will miss so it. Subtle. Um, we are going to be reading the short story slash fairy tale by Hans Christian Andersen, The Little Mermaid. And you know what? It's not just because I like the story of The Little Mermaid. No, 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 no. It's because I want to talk about as much trash about Hans Christian Andersen using this to declare his love to another man as possible. Okay, listen, I almost married a Dane and they don't have many things to be happy about, but Lego and Hans Christian Andersen. That's it. So I don't think I'm going to be defending him, but I don't know if I can let you destroy the, the, the legacy and name of Hans Christian Andersen. There's a statue of him in Denmark where people regularly go sit on his lap. But never Charles Dickens. Nope. Uh, this is why we don't record at night. <laughs> Woo! Actually, uh, I like our night recording. It's almost as good as our mead recording. Oh my god! Oh my god! I have a mead advent calendar, friends. I saw. I'm so excited. Oh my god! We were so drunk. We were. We were. And you know what? Still don't feel any guilt about it. No, zero. Remember the note. Y'all are sounding kind of lush about minute 14. Yeah, because we were. We (sighs) were. That's, yep. I was getting ready to go, like, attack an English monastery. I mean. Yeah, we were both ready. We're both ready. Uh, you can find us all over the social internet, including Facebook, still on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Twitter is the only one that has uh, Twitter and Instagram are the only ones that are different, which is unfortunately RR on Twitter and unfortunately required on Instagram. Facebook is unfortunately required reading and you can find us at unfortunately required reading.com. Tori, would you like to do the uh, shill for money segment? I would. Um, so if you would like to donate to our show, like our wonderful uh, supporters already do, or maybe even someday be on an episode, uh, you can mm-hmm. find us on anchor.fm slash unfortunately required reading, and you can give us the gift of your money, which we would appreciate. It helps us keep the physical and metaphorical lights on. It will someday go back to our wine and cheese fund again, uh, which hopefully i think we're talking january going back to yeah i think we're i think we're being in person with each other i know we missed each other uh oh my god i'm gonna hug you oh my god i'm gonna it's like we haven't seen each other i know but it's also like it's gonna be yeah it's gonna be intense i'm excited it's different in person because you glare at me more (laughs) yeah i can't just like dig my hand into your arm just like stop no no <laughs> uh thank you guys so much for listening there is a lot going on in the world and listen i might be on prozac but that doesn't mean that i can't empathize with the fact that there is suffering in the world <laughs> i might be flying high on artificial endorphins but that doesn't mean i'm not unaware of the suffering that's going on in the world there's a lot happening Please feel free to unplug from the internet for a little while. Take a break. Get some sunlight. 
you are a houseplant with emotional baggage. Drink some water, get some sunlight, stay warm, stay safe, and we'll see you in the next one. Bye. Bye. Go read a book. Go read a book. <laughs>